are the descendants of 40 million people who left other countries, other familiar scenes, to come here to the United States to build a new life. I think it is not a burden, but a privilege. Welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast brought to you by Classco Immigration Law Partners. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Stock. I'm a partner here at Classco Immigration. With me today, I have my partner, Michelle Madera, and one of our associates, Lisa Felix. Both are very experienced in the world of employment-based immigration. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks, Bill. Today, we're going to talk about some questions that come from clients regarding what does and doesn't constitute work. And where this is relevant is trying to determine if they need work authorization. There are lots of people in the United States who have no work authorization. They might be visitors, they might be family members like F2s, uh, or they might have very specific work authorization. So an H1B who's authorized to work only for the employer who sponsored them, or they might be an F1 who's only allowed to perform certain kinds of work on campus or in the context of their educational program. So the answers to these questions are going to apply to all those people. If it's not the work that is specifically authorized, or if you don't generally have employment authorization, you're going to want to know whether the activity you propose to do constitutes employment in the United States. So let's start first with just some general rules uh, and guidelines. The first thing I would say is that there are things that are clearly work, like building a house and getting paid for it, There are things that are clearly not work, like sitting at home watching television, but there's a big gray area in between, and you want to be really careful anytime you're doing activities that fall in that gray area that might be considered work in some contexts. So Lisa, help us understand, for immigration purposes, how do we understand employment or work? Well, employment or work is generally understood as being performing services in exchange for compensation. And the compensation might be monetary or might take another form, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But you want to understand that you're doing something that benefits somebody, and in return, they are compensating you in some way. So three elements, right? Uh, Compensation, services, and that there's an exchange of the one for the other. So how about, though, uh, if uh, is there any difference, do you think, Michelle, between something you do once versus something you do over and over? Yeah, and I think we'll talk about this in a little more detail later, but I think there's sort of a spectrum of, of activity. And, you know, selling your car or selling some jewelry you made one time to a neighbor or a friend is you know, probably not going to constitute work. But then, you know, you like making the jewelry and you open up a shop on Etsy or a similar website and you start selling it all the time, I think at some point that turns to work. And again, the in-between is a bit of a gray area. We There's no bright line rule over when that change occurs, but, you know, you have to use your judgment as to, you know, if it's, um you know, really a for-profit enterprise that you're engaging in. And that's a great point. I think that when the activity becomes the activity that you're doing for yourself, self-employment, uh, that's really, uh, it's, it doesn't matter whether you have a separate employer. Self-employment is going to be governed by exactly all of the rules that we're talking about, uh, just like employment for uh, a third party. Uh, what about, though, uh, uh, volunteering, Lisa? Do you think if, if you don't get paid for the activity, does that matter? 
Well, there are uh, a lot of rules that surround uh, the concept of volunteering. And in general, when it's a very typical volunteer situation, such as performing something for a humanitarian benefit, or in a typical situation where, or in a situation where there are typically volunteers, such as at a church or at a hospital or something like that, then it's clearly volunteer. But when you're trying to define volunteering as a, performing a service for which you don't get paid, you're also entering into the gray area. Um, and there are a lot of guidance, rules and guidance that um, help you define whether the situation would qualify as volunteering or whether you really should have work authorization for that activity. And before we go too much further, we should probably talk about why we care about this. I mean, Michelle, what are some of the consequences if if you get this wrong and, and the activities you're doing are determined to be work? Yeah, so that's, you know, it's one of the probably unfortunate things about being in the U.S. as a foreign national is there are going to be more consequences that might not happen if you're a U.S. citizen. So one of those could be that you're engaging in unlawful employment um, or unauthorized employment. So, um, you know, if the government makes a determination that this activity did qualify as employment, but you weren't authorized to be doing it, you could be facing consequences. The consequences don't have to be in real time to when you're engaging in that activity. It could be years and years later when you're applying for a different status or a green card or even U.S. citizenship that this issue may arise. So, you know, it is it is potentially a long-term problem. All right, well, let's turn to some specific areas that uh, might or might not be employment and try and give folks some guidance around that. Uh, let's start first with, uh, you know, what, what may come up every now and again. Uh, places where people get something of value, but it's not entirely clear that they performed any services. Uh, so Lisa, what if you uh, walk into the store and you someone hands you a check and says, congratulations, you're our one millionth customer, uh, you know, you, you win $100. Is, is that going to be a problem? That's probably not going to be a problem, Bill. Um, with prizes and raffles and things like that, you're not actually performing a service that benefits any sort of employer. You just happen to be lucky, and the um, person offering the prize is giving it away for no uh, in, in return for no service. So um, that t that typically does not constitute a problem, nor um, raise any sort of gray area. Now, what if I choose to participate? So you know, I enter the Philadelphia's hunkiest lawyer contest <laughs> and I and I win. Uh, am I going to? Uh... It's a stretch, Bill. <laughs> well, thank goodness. This no is a can... podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you will. <laughs> uh, this is radio. You win. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, is taking the step to enter a contest where you don't you might not get anything but if you win you get a prize is that going to be constituting employment I'm still going to go with no that doesn't constitute employment because you're not performing any sort of service you might have done something like fill out a form um, or even take a survey but it's not a service that uh, is performed in return for compensation. Even if you pr filled out a survey, you might not win. So um, that's not really considered a service in exchange for compensation. It doesn't meet the definition of employment. 
And believe it or not, there's actually some guidance in the Foreign Affairs Manual, which covers things uh, like what one can do when one is here as a business visitor. And one of the things you can do as a business visitor is be here as a professional athlete and enter uh, a contest where the only money you make is if you win. So I think you could argue by analogy that the Foreign Affairs Manual recognizes that that's not employment uh, because they do allow it for for visitors for business um, in that kind of a scenario. So Lisa, I have a question. What about if it's um, in exchange for completing a survey, you will get a $100 gift card? Well, how would you feel about that? Again, I think that, well, you may be entering the gray area. I, I would say too. you're not performing a service for the employer. It's not work um, that benefits the employer. They may use your data. They may use your information. But you're not um, performing a, a compensable service. And I, I will flip that on its head a little bit. I think if then somebody goes to every store every <laughs> Saturday and fills out a survey to get a $100 gift card and they end up getting hundreds of $100 gift cards, that might eventually turn into a sort of a concerning situation. I think you raised some tax questions. Um, I also would wonder if your $100 gift card is a guarantee or if it's just a lucky chance that you might have won. So, and if you do know one that's a guarantee, please let us know. <laughs> Beyond the survey for a gift card kind of scenario. What about situations where you don't necessarily have to perform a service, but you get something in exchange? So what if you give blood or plasma uh, and are paid uh, some amount of money? Or uh, if you agree to participate in a medical examination, a medical study, and uh, receive some money for, uh, for that participation, do you think that's a service that, uh, that might be considered employment? Well, then I think you move into a uh, discussion of the definition of um, employment at, that relates to is somebody supervising your work, is somebody controlling your work, and when, um, for example, when you're selling your blood or your plasma, uh, I would say that that's viewed more as selling your possessions. Um, when you're um, filling out, a, participating in a medical survey or a medical uh, research study, there's not a way for the employer to really control your work with the result, with the work product in mind. It's more, what does your, what are your blood counts? What are your blood cells? Mm -hmm. So um, it's more for the data than the actual service. It's more for the product. Now, would you say that's one of those clear answers, or are we in the gray area? I think we're in the gray area, and I'm getting gray hairs thinking about it. <laughs> Be moving beyond the sort of things where it's not so clear that there's uh, that, that there's clearly something of value, but there's no services. Uh, let's move into the world of uh, side hustles. Uh, there are a lot of people who are looking to make a little extra money, or who would just like something to do if they're stuck at home with no work authorization. Uh, Michelle, what if I want to? Uh, develop an app and put it up on the App Store. I don't know if anybody's going to buy this, but I'm going to perform some services. Yeah, so I think, again, it's a bit of a gray area, right? You're developing an app, and I would assume that somebody's hoping to profit from that app if you're putting it up on the App Store, right? It's not for your personal use. Um, and so if, if the goal is for public consumption, for eventually, you know, being the next 
big app um, and marketing it that way, then you're probably going to start crossing over into that employment at some point. Um, you know, and, and this does come up quite often with students who maybe started an app with their university as part of their courses and said, you know, I really do like this idea. I want to see how far I can take it. Um, but unfortunately, they don't have the work authorization to keep going forward. You know, in the beginning, they're not going to get any compensation. There, there might not be advertising fees. But at some point, if it does take off, that that might change. And, and then I would think it, we were we are exiting the gray area and getting more into a concern that it is not authorized employment. Well, all right. So let's say you're not going to develop the app, but you're going to use some of these apps out there, Uber or Instacart or TaskRabbit, some of these apps which allow you to... Uh, you know, share your car with someone who then makes a suggested contribution to you. Do you think that that's going to be constituting employment? Uber certainly argues pretty hard that, that these are independent contractors who uh, are just sharing their car. Right, but just because they're an independent contractor doesn't mean they don't need work authorization, right? So, you know, if they are driving Uber or Lyft um, regularly, if they are, you know, working for Instacart or offering their services on TaskRabbit and, and going out there and, you know, doing chores for somebody or picking up and delivering things for somebody. I think, again, it's a gray area right now because immigration hasn't quite caught up with the technology that's out there. But I do think that, you know, they are performing services that are providing value to somebody else, um, even if they are doing it as a self-employment situation or an independent contractor situation. Um. Speaking of things that uh, you can do on the internet that may or may not provide value, uh, I know there's this whole world of social media influencers where people give travel advice or makeup advice and might get free products or even solicit free products. Do you think that could be constituting employment? I mean, I, I like to think that most of the time in, in influencers on Instagram or other social media are really just doing it for fun. Um, you know, they're having, they're sharing their experiences, you know, checking out different places, um, if it's travel, they're checking out different ma makeup products. I think it might cross over into that employment situation, um, not necessarily when you start getting free products, but when you start participating in sponsorships or um, paid sponsorships, um, which you do have to disclose on Instagram that it is a paid sponsorship. So that is probably getting into that, that uh, more into that gray area as well. You know, if it's just a hobby you're doing every once in a while and you happen to get a free gift for participating in that or recommending a product you like, I think that's probably okay. Then we're a lot closer to the prizes and raffles at that point. Exactly, exactly. I think if you start doing regular activity that solicits business, uh, that's uh, a clear indication that you're moving into a situation where you'd need work authorization. So if you start developing your brand and um, creating special, uh, you know, on and on podcasts and tutorials and things for the purpose of uh, uh, sponsorship or solicitations, then uh, you're clearly moving into a more work-type situation, even though it may be considered self-employment. As Bill said earlier, self-employment is still employment. 
And that's a great transition to another question that comes up a lot, which is, you know, the idea of, of selling something. Just because you've sold something in commerce, you might have a couch that you used in your in your apartment for a while. Do you think it's employment if you put that up on uh, Craigslist or if you sell your car on, on cars.com? No, I, I don't. I think if it's a one-time or one-off situation, you know, you're selling an old car, you're moving apartments, and you're selling your old couch and, you know, coffee table, that's, that's not going to be considered employment. It's, it's you know, a one-time situation or maybe a few times over your lifetime. Um, I think it may cross into um, unauthorized employment if you start purchasing items to then resell. Right, so even you know if you use an app like um, Poshmark or ThreadUp or you know sell something on Etsy, if, but if you start purchasing new products to then turn around and sell, I think that that is probably crossing the line because you're making it more of a business that way. Well, and and what about if you're actually making something, right? So if you're uh, creating a product specifically for a website like an Etsy, uh, at that point, you know, I think it, there's certainly an argument that you're much clearer uh, over that line into the idea of self-employment. Um, do you think, uh, you know, you mentioned a, a buying a house, you know, if you if you buy a house and you sell it, okay, from what you've said, that sounds okay. Uh, is there a limit on the, you know, uh, on what you should do? What if you buy property that you think uh, is going to appreciate or if you buy property that needs a little bit of fixing up? Yeah, so again, I think we're, we're definitely in the gray area with this. If you, you know, buy a property, you sort of fix it up on a weekend and, you know, it's a long-term investment that you are going to rent out. But if you start acting as a landlord in a regular capacity, I would say that that might be crossing into um, an employment situation. I would want to um, look at that and maybe you would want to step out of the management and, and into, um, you know, getting a managing company to handle the day-to-day -day issues that might come up with if you were renting. But that also brings up a good point about flipping houses, right? So if you were to purchase a house, gut it and renovate it with the purpose of selling it again at a, at a profit, and you started doing that regularly, I think that's probably crossing into that line as well. And Lisa, you mentioned earlier taxes. I think this is a great point that there's a lot of tax rules around participating with passive income versus non-passive income in the real estate area. You'd certainly want to make sure that the tax treatment of the income that you were getting was purely passive and you know, use some guidance maybe from the tax law to say that as long as you're not crossing that line, uh, you, uh, you're, you're on the right side of the gray area when it comes to the work authorization needed. Well, let's uh, do some quick hits on, on things we, I hear a lot, I'm sure you do as well, uh, myths of, of employment. So, uh, Lisa, I'm not making money at it, uh, so it's not work. So if I, uh, if I get dinner for babysitting, uh, it's not money. So that means it's not work. Is that right? Well, uh, compensation doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of cash or money even. Um, the babysitting one time off situation where you get dinner included, I not, I'm not going to go as far as to say as you need to have work authorization for that uh, or that you could even get work authorization for that. But um, if uh, you receive compensation either in a different form, such as stock options or future ownership in a company, um, that's clearly of value. And you're, if you wouldn't perform the service 
without receiving that, um, then I think you're you're moving into the into a clearer situation that would require work authorization, even though it's not money, or even if your company's not profitable at the time. Okay, and and of course then. What if I'm going to get paid overseas, right? If, if I'm going to get paid somewhere other than America, that means it's okay, right? <laughs> well, again, this is a gray area. Um, there are uh, There's a position that it matters only where you personally happen to be. So if you're in the U.S., you need work authorization in the U.S. There's another position that says that if all of the economic activity is accrued overseas. So the company is overseas, the money is paid overseas, the benefit is overseas, then it doesn't really matter where you are. You could be in the U.S., you could be in the com- in the country where the company is located, or you could be on the beach in the Caribbean. That's not a situation that would require U.S. work authorization. I don't know that, you know, this is a good point to uh, to say that you ought also look at the tax treatment and whether it was considered U.S. source income for purposes of taxation. Exactly. Uh, that gives you a little better argument. But again, I think it's important to say we're, we're in gray areas when it, when it comes to this. And I'd like to jump in and just say there's no harm in getting the employment authorization. If you have access to uh, a visa situation where you have uh, an, a, an opportunity to get work authorization and you have it, then you don't have to worry. What about things you do to, to build your resume? If you're if you're uh, participating in professional related activities uh, that you're uh, hoping will benefit you in the future, uh, is that going to be okay? Yeah. So if you if it's something related to your current employment that you're sponsored for, let's say it's a networking group or a professional organization that is, you know, continuing education or something like that, I think that is perfectly fine. You know, it's part of your career development. Um, but I think if it's it's something that's, you know, com- a little bit out of left field, um, you know, then, then that probably is more in the gray area. And, and of course, what if it's actually performing a job but not getting paid for it and just saying, well, I'm, I'm only doing it to build my resume. Is that going to be okay under the volunteering rule? That's probably not going to be okay under the volunteering rule. There's lots of uh, uh, rules and guidance about volunteering that come um, both from immigration and from uh, employment law. Um, you don't make it okay by not being paid. So if they're, if you're putting a U.S. worker out of uh, a job, for example, that's not okay. Um, That wouldn't be considered volunteer for the purpose of not needing employment authorization for it. Um, Again, uh, if you don't want to be in a situation where you're personally um, exploited by not being paid by your employer, so your employer can't um, make you volunteer by offering some sort of, you know, oh, your resume will benefit from this. Um, volunteering is safer when you're in a situation um, that a typical volunteer uh, would perform, such as um, helping the homeless or reading to children or something like that. When you would do this out of the goodness of your heart for um, no actual compensation. All right, well, let me wrap up, I think, and, and really just give some perspective. And, and that is, uh, we would give different advice whether someone has come to us and said that they have done one of these activities in the gray area, uh, we might be able to come up with an argument that they were not uh, engaged in employment. 
But in many times, if they come to us and are proposing to do these things, we're going to be much more conservative and say that staying out of the gray area is always in your best interest. So again, you should seek counsel before you engage in some of these activities to make sure that whatever you plan to do, uh, that it is consistent with the long-term plans that you have for remaining in the United States. I should also mention the stakes are higher with the government's new unlawful presence policy for F1 and J1 students. If a person is determined to have worked without authorization in the middle of their student uh, program, they may be deemed to have unlawful presence going back months or years that could have a serious adverse effect on their future in the United States. Really, all of these issues for unauthorized employment can be problems years later when a person goes to apply for adjustment of status for their green card. So making sure that you're keeping yourself out of trouble when it comes to employment is always a good idea if you're in the U.S. Uh, on any kind of temporary visa. So with that, I'd like you to thank you for joining us. I'd like to thank Kristen Doan, our, web, our uh, podcast producer. We're planning on doing a second part of this episode where Michelle and Lisa and I dive a little bit deeper into avoiding issues when planning, developing, and launching a startup business. So uh, Michelle and Lisa, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Sign up for our newsletters to get alerts. And if you like what you hear, please rate us and review us on wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher. And if you have any uh, topics or ideas that you want to hear from on the show, please email us at podcasts at classcolaw, K-L-A-S-K-O-L-A-W dot com. For more information, visit us at classcolaw.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can email your immigration questions to podcast at classicallaw.com. The material contained in this podcast does not constitute direct legal advice and is for informational purposes only. An attorney-client relationship is not presumed or intended by receipt or review of this presentation. The information provided should never replace informed counsel when specific immigration-related guidance is